Since 1937, Ducks Unlimited has been the leader in waterfowl conservation with over 16 million acres of habitat conserved. DU supporters and volunteers have led the charge to fill the skies with waterfowl today, tomorrow, and forever. You too can play a role in leaving a legacy for the future of waterfowl hunting. To find an event near you or to join our volunteer team, go to www.ducks.org volunteer. Ducks Unlimited, conservation for a continent. Hello and welcome to the Standard Sportsman Podcast, where your hosts Brent Birch and Kaysen Short will discuss, debate, and detail trending topics within the sport of duck and goose hunting. Brent and Kaysen have over 80 years combined chasing ducks in Arkansas with a like-minded pursuit of leaving waterfowling better than they found it. Each week, you will hear impactful interviews and engaging guests guaranteed to make you a more informed and effective hunter-conservationist. Thanks for spending time with us today. Now, let us jump into today's show with the guys. Hey guys, it's Brent Birch and Casey Short back with another edition of the Standard Sportsman Podcast. We are hurtling into 2024, actually recording this on New Year's Day kind of coming out of a our, our weird little Christmas split and a full moon and all kinds of wacky stuff uh, trying to get our season back on track and and still waiting on that cold weather and a push of ducks but uh Kaysen, welcome to another show yeah here we are new year the Standard Sportsman Podcast is brought to you by the following sponsors. Waterfowl hunters deserve to have a set of waders that can excel year in and year out throughout the duration of the season. So Sika Gear set out to build the best pair of waders ever. Constructed from Gore-Tex Pro Laminate, the face fabric offers added durability and is breathable in active working conditions while completely sealing out the elements. Importantly, they proudly stand behind all of their Delta Zip wader features with their 100% serviceable guarantee. And I'm speaking from experience as I have sent my original pair of Sika waders from the 2018 season back twice without a hiccup. Engineered to outwork, outlast, and outhunt everything else in the market, the Delta Zip waiter from Sika Gear is the gold standard for reliability. The Chatham jacket from Tom Beckby features the durable, weatherproof 8-ounce wax shelter cloth shell that develops a great-looking patina with use. I've actually worn this jacket the last couple of seasons and appreciate the shorter cut to it so it fits great inside my waders. It's also a really good weight for most Arkansas days of field. So if you like to mix a little vintage look with your technical gear waders, this is the jacket. You can find the jacket online at tombeckby.com. You can also find it in their brick and mortar locations in Wilson, Arkansas, Birmingham, Alabama, and the new store in Oxford, Mississippi. Yeah, we turn turn the page. <laughs> yeah, the same same story, same complaints as before. It sounds like, but but here we are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, we you and I talked the other day. We were, we were speaking with Lee after that we recorded that last one and talked about, you know, really the seasons. It's not, it maybe is, or I know it has, it's not as bad as maybe we make it sound on the podcast. We just have some concerns over some things that I think are legitimate. And I think we've got a correct an audience that thinks some of those things are legitimate. And we've got some audience that thinks we're just, just crying in our Cheerios uh, about some of this stuff. But, uh, you know, time will tell, time will tell, but yeah. Uh, you know, that's where we are and uh hopefully hopefully we got a, a good close here because we're, we're right here at the halfway point in the season so we still got uh 30 days to make it happen 
Yeah, I think I think that's well said. We we've had a pretty good year, ups and downs, similar to the last three or four years. Um, not crying and complaining, but the concerning thing, you know, as we've talked about, we know we know how far the the breeding population dipped last year. We know how many maypons that we lost, and here we are looking at these survey numbers that are down, and we know it's a dry year, so it's kind of a little bit of concern over what we're going to see going into the spring when we start getting ready to set the framework for 25. Um, and not trying to go back down that rabbit hole today, just clearing the air a little bit, not, not whining and crying, just some, some concern about where we're going to end up, but we'll see. It'll all shake out. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, once again, we've got a, uh, a guest, uh, you know, I, I haven't, I haven't met him, but do, I definitely know who he is, uh, you know, in the industry. And I know he's a friend of yours and, and y'all have hunted together and, and done some, done some other things together, but, uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce today's guest? Yeah, we've got, uh, we've got Brooke Rashar, director of marketing for power calls, Mo Marsh, Higdon, uh, a, a mover and shaker there in those brands and a good friend of mine, heck of a spec caller and a, a great hunter and friend. Brooke, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, gentlemen. Big fan, big fan. Uh, I'm just honored to be at the Cool Kid table, hanging out with some <laughs> great people, starting my year off strong, working on a holiday, hanging out with good people. Uh, maybe the first time I've ever been accused of that, but uh, I'll take it. appreciate it. Uh, checks in the mail. <laughs> well, it was either go duck hunting and uh, hope and dream that these stale ducks finally want to hear me blow a duck call, or uh, come hang out with you guys and dream about tomorrow. So always tomorrow. Yeah. That's well, I, I guess first I should uh, thank you for you guys, all your support with the podcast so far. You came on board early and, and have been right there with us the whole way. So Brent, I truly appreciate that. And I hope our listeners appreciate it as well, because it's it's certainly been helpful. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, from the first time I hunted with you, Casey, and we just started talking about birds and telemetry data. And you said you were going to start a podcast and kind of told me your vision and what that business plan was just from an educational standpoint. Um, the entry fee was low. It was just be Casey's friend. And when he needs help, help him. And, uh, we were going to support it because the message you guys are, are singing from the rooftops is, is one that I'm passionate about. So we're, we're proud to be partnered with you guys and, and help any way that we can. So thanks for involving us. Yeah. Well, that's something that we appreciate. That's something those, those brands definitely, uh, are involved with and care about. And we're, we're going to get to that in the show, but yeah, I think most of that first time I had a great hunt, the, uh, shooting specs there with uh with DUTV. I think it was you and me and uh Mike Brazier kind of nerding out in the back of the blind. We're talking science stuff while everyone else was hunting, but uh it was a good time. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, that was uh it was one of those days. It's been you know, I've been I've been chasing specs a long time growing up in South Louisiana and um you know a lot a lot more people are hunting these birds now. So I've kind of seen the the easy layup spec hunting, especially in the state of Arkansas. 10, 15 years ago, turn into a much more of a challenge, which is not a bad thing. Uh, long live the birds, but, um, it's, it's very, uh, very rare to go hunt a random place, uh, with people you really don't know on a farm you've never seen and then find yourself on one of the best spec hunts you've been on in a decade. So, uh, the pleasure was definitely all mine. It was a really good hunt. That's a testament to your, uh, knowledge and, and care about the birds. So kudos to you. You have a hell of a farm. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, and since we're talking spec hunting and, and how the game has changed, and we got to be careful a little bit. I know Brent and I talk about spec hunting a lot, and it's uh, I'm not complaining because they're harder to kill. And certainly, it, it was more fun when it was easier. But 
there's a lot going on with the resource and, and we may touch on that a little bit, but let's talk about you guys really, you brought something to market this year that in my opinion, absolutely changed spec hunting. We, you know, silhouettes have been a thing for a while. They've become the norm, but you guys brought some motion to silhouettes and we've run them all season. They are fantastic. Love it. Uh, tell our listeners a little bit about that product. Yeah. So I, I guess proper Higdon fashion, you know, the, the market of silhouettes, um, and, and I'm not speaking as an 80 year old, I'm 32 years old, I think. Uh, yeah, 32. Um, silhouettes have been around for a very long time, um, but in proper Higdon fashion, you know, we saw the market demanding a lot of these, whether they're you know, young duck hunters with, with not a lot of disposable income or, you know, even older, wealthy duck hunters and, and goose hunters that uh, started seeing these silhouettes and its trend be very lucrative from a harvesting standpoint and ease of use, economically priced. Uh, we knew we, we needed to get into that market that we weren't in. It's been around forever, but uh, we just didn't want to bring a, a chloroplast picture of a bird to market. There's there's plenty of those out there. So we we just kind of stepped back and looked at what we could do to to really help hunters and make a better product. Um, so we came out with a motion silhouette. They're called motion flats. It's, it's essentially a 1300 gram chloroplast silhouette with a very robust stake, uh, just acknowledging the issues that people have with silhouettes, bending stakes and chipping chloroplasts. We made them tougher and bigger and made a move. So it's a way to, uh, we're not telling you to go buy 80 dozen and, and hunt next to Kaysen's property line. Uh, it probably won't work, but you can add just a dozen or two dozen of these motion flats to your existing spread, whether there are standard silhouettes or not. And, uh, and it really helps you. It just creates the illusion of the whole bunch of birds moving and it works. Uh, I had the pleasure of hunting with them uh, last year and this year from Pacific Northwest, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Mississippi flyway. Uh, and I'm here to tell you they work. You can add just a few of them to, uh, your full body spread, your white spread, your dark spread, your silhouette spread. It's just a very easy way to be more realistic. And, um, when you're more realistic, the odds are better. Uh, so that's for sure. That, and that was always my deal with, with the silhouettes is the, it's just the, especially even on a windy day, you know, you kind of get the, <laughs> where they kind of just wobble on the, on the, on the stakes. I haven't seen these particular decoys, but I know, you know, Kaysen's a big fan, but I've, I've, and, and don't take this the wrong way, but I've stopped using silhouettes almost entirely. Um, just because the geese are so heavily pressured in, in my area. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm trying to look different than everything else that they see. And I'm also not trying to kill limits for, you know, 10, 12, 15, 20 people. I'm, you know, I'm four, five, six. I sell decoys for a living. I'll be the first one to tell you, Brooke Richard, personally, I don't like having to run more decoys than the amount of birds we can possibly shoot in a hunt. Yeah. Um, I, I've hunted Arkansas for five years, uh, full time as a guide and, I ran 18 full body spec decoys and was killing 500 to a thousand uh, specs a year. And that yeah. to me, that's just a testament to calling and the setup and understanding the hunt being on a good place. But I would rather hunt with a small full body spread than have to run a big spread. But unfortunately um, every situation is different. I'm not knocking anybody who has to run a thousand white decoys to go kill 18 specs. It, it just sometimes that's what you have to do if you're running traffic or you're just not where they want to be, or you can't blow a call or, or there's a million reasons why there's a time and place for everything. But um, I'm a firm believer that birds finish better over full bodies too. But, you know, that was my biggest thing is it's like, 
well, do we really want to sell silhouettes? You know, we're, we're doing very well with the full body game and, and, mm-hmm. you know, do we really want to play into that? But you know, made half a dozen of these motion silhouettes, added them to 18 full body specs and sat in the field and the results were drastic. Just a little bit of motion on a five mile an hour, cloudy east wind day, having just a little bit of motion in your full body spread. Um, it truly helps. So that's, that's what I hang my hat on is, uh, I'm not encouraging my go buy 600 motion silhouettes. That's not, you know, if, go for it, please uh, keep the lights on here. We appreciate it. <laughs> right. uh, it doesn't mean you need to do it. Uh, yeah. I, I'm a, I'm a firm believer that birds in general, I don't care what it is. They're going to finish better full bodies on, on any, uh, any given day. Not that they won't do it, but if they finish over silhouettes, they will, they will finish just as good, if not better over the same amount of full bodies, if not less. Yeah, that's right. Do these do, do these have anything, uh, you know, cause I, I was always a little hesitant, at, you know, in the afternoon of using, you know, the silhouettes that on a sunny, you know, not a cloud in the sky day that those threw off a, a reflection mm-hmm. that the geese didn't like. Um, and so I, I started using flocked silhouettes and had, had much better success in sure. those, but do these current, these decoys that, that y'all have come out with it, they have a an anti glare uh, effect. They do, uh, yeah. they do. They're they're UV resistant, and they they are not flocked, so you will get reflection. That first thirty minutes of the day, and the last thirty minutes of the day, when the sun, it, it really just depends on your wind, right? So, sure. if you're anybody listening who's versed in setting up silhouettes, you know what you what you don't want to do is is put the wind in your back, sun in your face, or vice versa. Put the sun in your face, wind in your face knowing that the specs are just going to fly into the glare. You don't want to angle your silhouette that way. It's just, you're asking for it um, because they naturally will reflect light, and that's not really realistic. But, um, you know, being that these silhouettes move, it's really hard to control that. But you just have to know your hunt. You know, in my opinion, the worst time to use a decoy that's not fully flocked or even a decoy that you can't hide, it's unrealistic features, and every decoy has unrealistic features, whether it's height or shine or color uh their decoys are not real birds is just knowing your hunt um but they they don't they don't shine like crazy I've, i shot a bunch of birds over them especially this year and they were you know they were shining i'll be the first one to tell you we, we had no option we were filming had to put the camera guys in a certain spot and there's yeah. nothing we could do and uh it still worked uh did i love it no did we get away with it yeah we did but you just have to know your hunt and and, and deal with it but we are coming out with fully flocked ones we were hoping to have them this year but um, we, we have some we've hunted over, uh, but they're going to be brought to market uh, spring of 2024 of this year. So we will have fully flocked ones that will be available, which is all of a sudden it doesn't matter if you understand your hunt or not. You can put them out and you don't have to worry about it. So it makes right. it easier. That's big. Uh, that'll be a, that'll be an awesome product. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a big deal. I mean, it, you know, and in, in, in and the same way, you know, with drone technology and just the amount of footage you can see out there of live birds, decoy spreads, with the amount of footage that we look at, whether we're setting up hunts or just wanting to learn about decoys and trying to be the bird and understanding what they see, which is, we can go down a long rabbit hole of that. But, um, you know, motion in your spread is just something that, you know, birds will never get used to if it's the right kind of motion, like the pulsator from Higdon, that's just a duck feeding. Um, birds don't get used to it. You can't have enough of them, in my opinion. And it's just it's a way to fool birds. If you're trying to look realistic, it's going to work. And if you can add motion to a full body spread, um, and like Brent touched on earlier, trying to be different, 
you know, you can drive through Arkansas County or anywhere in Eastern Arkansas and you can, it's not hard to throw a rock and accidentally hit 10 people in a field with a thousand silhouettes out in a field right now. So, yeah. you know, if somebody's running a huge static spread, that's not moving, um, being the guy that's running three or four dozen with some motion that's super realistic. Uh, in my opinion, it's the equivalent of going hunt a public WMA and being the guy between two giant groups blowing their lungs out with huge spreads and you're just hiding in the buck brush where the ducks want to be. Um, less is more, you know, realism is, is a thing that ducks like, and so do geese. Yeah. That's a, <clears throat> that's an interesting thing that you brought up there, you know, being where the ducks want to be, you know, you talk about like the big spreads and all that. And, and we've, we kind of fall victim to that sometimes as a guiding operation, you know, we are limited to where we have blinds, where we need to be set up, where we can set up with certain type groups versus, you know, if it's just me hunting solo, I can go anywhere I want to on the farm. You know, it's easier yeah. to hide one person in certain spots. So we kind of have to overcome some obstacles. Uh, so, but you guys have a lot of products that, that kind of help that. You mentioned the Pulsator. Uh, I know you've got a lot of others, but I wanted to ask you on that specifically, how shallow water-wise can you run those? Because, you know, you've got, you know, timber, moist soil, you've got all these different varying degrees of water. But one of the toughest places to get motion on a calm day is in the fields because you're dealing with four to six inches of water or maybe even less. Sure. Yeah. You can run, I mean, especially in like a flooded ag field in Arkansas, you know, I'm talking, um, whether it's set aside or soybeans or rice that's been, that's been harvested and then flooded, you know, even if you've got four inches of water, you know, you can run these things. If, if let's just say the floor of your rice field was concrete, le legitimate concrete and you had four inches of water, Pulsator wouldn't work, but we've got, you know, crazy kickers, a spinning foot decoy that would work in half an inch of water, but any flooded ag field that's got three inches of water and it's, you know, typical Arkansas mud or mud anywhere along the Mississippi river, you can just, you know, put your foot in the ground and throw this thing down and it's still going to work. So, um, it, it works just about anywhere, but the field, the field side of things, um, in the mentality of like hunting a, you know, I call it quote unquote sheet water, but really it's just a flooded, you know, flooded dry field. It's a dry field that's just got little potholes in it. I mean, you can make a pulsator work. It's not not the end of the world, but having having an option of a of like a motion flat or something, motion silhouette is is a big advantage. Water motion is not really what you're going for there. The birds are coming for the water. They can see the water, you know, but they're the realism of the decoy, in my opinion, you know, gives them that sense of confidence that, oh, yeah, it is safe. You're, so you're going for safety and visibility, knowing that the birds are going to that little mud hole in the middle of a dry field. Gotcha. So what are, you guys have a lot of products and then great ones. What are some of your favorite products to, uh, to help add motion or, or like we talked about, kind of overcome some, uh, man-made difficulties associated with hunting? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, I, I would hang my hat on, uh, water motion is, is a, and I'll, I'll just preface this statement cause I get asked this a lot, but it's, it's genuine and it's who I am. I like fooling birds. I don't, I don't, I don't like this, but I'm not going to kill a thousand of them. You know, I'm going to, right. to to shoot, whether it's my bag limit or just one up close, personal, romantic, intimate. I won. Everything I did was right. That bird didn't want to be here. or didn't know I was there. Um, that's how I am as a hunter. I want to go and get away with as much as I can to get the bird as close as I can. Every duck that flies over, calling at it, seeing it look, finishing it, you know, to me, the harder it is, the more fun it is when it's successful. Now that's, uh, doesn't always work out of course, but that's my challenge is I want to, I want to hunt where birds aren't 
hide where no one else can hide, show them something they haven't seen, communicate with them on a call in a manner that they don't normally hear and completely fool them and be able to shoot them with the smallest you know, caliber shotgun that's out there. That's what I like to do. Now, that's not what I necessarily get to do all the time, but the pulsator, in my opinion, you know, I can go, I can go hide. Um, and, and, you know, with a, with like a mow marsh product, whether I'm standing next to a tree or where I don't have cover and I need to hide like a mow marsh Invisiman blind and an Invisilab, just me and my dog go and hide in a place where all the ducks want to be or they're flying over, but no one can hide. That's why the ducks are there and there's no pressure there. I could take, I can go hide very well and not have to worry about, you know, the sun. I can just be where the ducks want to be and then have a super realistic spread, uh, you know, a dozen or two, um, you know, foam filled decoys that I don't have to babysit or anything, throw those out, put half a dozen pulsators with them. And I, you know, it's when we talk about hunting where quote unquote birds want to be, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's just where they're going. You're just painting the picture of the birds don't necessarily not want to be there. And you want to emulate what it would look like if, you know, there's a thousand birds flying over this one piece of water where you never see ducks, but you know that they would go there. All they need is a little inclination of, oh, that looks like a, you know, a 12 or 15 pack of ducks pitched down and they're there and they can see them. That's, that may be all they need to go there. And whether that's ducks or specks or whatever, you're just being where the ducks quote unquote want to be doesn't mean where you've seen them living. Just they would go there. That's, that's honestly, you know, my go-to is I pick those spots because they're, they're not scared of it. Um, and with hiding well and having a realistic spread, that's really all you need to do. And just understanding your hunt and, and really process of elimination, just knowing what not to do wrong, in my opinion, is more advantageous than trying to go for broke and saying, we've seen him in this field a million times. Let's go set up a giant A-frame blind style blind and put out a million decoys. I've been burnt more times than not doing that than just saying, well, you know, let's not get greedy. Let's go where we saw like two or three land out in the field. So we know they're comfortable going there. There's a good line on top of them. And let's just go get sneaky on them. Uh, me, my buddy Case and my buddy Brent are going to go and go, go get, you know, really sneaky and, and go do it. Uh, those types of products is what makes that realistic is, is hiding well and looking realistic. That's hunting in my opinion. Yeah, totally for sure. And, and I'm sure all three of us see that throughout the year. You know, we've got a, a group of specs staying right there close to our lodge. Not a huge number of birds, but they're, they get there the same time every day, spend the middle of the day there. They're comfortable. You know, now we're not going to go shoot them that close to the lodge. I'm, I'm glad they found a spot to survive and I'm going to let them have it. But there's a, you know, number of other places similar that you could go and you could hunt, you could find success there. And it's not this massive amount of birds that everyone's chasing. It's where they're comfortable. Now you got to put in the effort and the work to get there and hide. And you got to have the equipment to be able to hide there. You know, my, my favorite part about that case is, and you said it without saying it is, you know, people want to know why some people are consistently successful in the field and why some people aren't. And some people are just blessed to have 10,000 acres and they can burn every, every X every day. And they just have a different X every day. But when you hunt like that and you're smart enough to know, like, yeah, I could hunt where they're all going at 2:15 PM every single day. And these birds have been here since October know understanding that you can't do that every day or every week and not, i'm not saying it's a bad thing to let the field cook and and go and do it and have a big hurrah i mean that's good to do but respecting the resource and and getting off of their a and b and hunting c and, and just chipping away at them you can do that every day of the season and be consistent and in my opinion consistency is what it's all about 
Um, you may not, you know, it may take you six hours to shoot them or you may not shoot all your birds every day, but you can try every single day and never mess it up. Yeah. Well, I think that's even more important in a year like this where you've got lean numbers or bad weather, whatever you want to call it, that's stacked against us, you know, managing that pressure and, and taking care of that is even more important in years yeah. like this. I got a video today of my buddies in uh, Jonesboro, Arkansas, a group of guys that I hunt with often, uh, Charles Petty and, and his guys. And I've, I've got a field there, the dump, and it's loaded right now. It has not had birds on it all year long. And um, since we've been on this podcast, I got the video. So it looks like some birds are showing up and moving around. So that may be a good thing for your neck of the woods there, Kaysen. Yeah, we'll take it. And anything to freshen them up at this point, the full moon, really, they were uh, very stale, as I think everyone would call it. Sure. Yeah, well, they're happy. Yeah, I mean, I, what, what would we do? You know, if we didn't have to. Right. If we didn't have a work schedule and didn't have to wake up at seven and be at work from eight to five, if we had the luxury of doing whatever was most convenient for us, we'd all be happier. I mean, not that we would, we would probably live a little bit longer too, but man, these birds are happy. You can't blame them. It's 45 degrees, cloudy. They can do whatever the heck they want. I mean, luckily there's enough, you know, there's enough agriculture and in, in, in our area to, you know, sustain these birds and let them be happy. And they've got places they can get away from pressure and they're smart enough to where everybody can't just kill every one of them. So I don't blame them. I'm, I'm happy for the birds. Let them, let them do whatever they want to do. And we'll find a way to, to get them. We don't have to kill them all. That's okay. That's right. They're not forced to do anything. So no. you, uh, we'd, be, we'd be doing the same thing they're doing, being lazy and howling <laughs> at the moon. Uh, yeah. You, you brought up something a second ago. You mentioned, drone technology and i don't know if you saw ed wall's post the other day he put up a it was a snow goose feed and had just an amazing amount of birds in it but i pointed out the drain fur in the field and he kind of went back and watched it he's like man he's like, i didn't even see that till you said that and i always notice stuff like that especially when i'm flying a drone at our place i'll look at how birds set up uh like on the beds in a bean field or even the way a, a field is cut with a combine the way the header runs or the tire tracks and, and I often see them line up artificially on these lines or on these artificial, you know, straight lines. But it's funny when we go to set decoys, most people are like don't put them in a straight line. They, you know, they'll see that, but they do it on their own. And I've seen it, you know, yeah. through drone footage. So, what are? I'd like to hear your thoughts on like setting up silhouettes or spec spreads. Like, what are some things that you notice and that are gospel to you? So I'll just. This is a hard one to answer because every situation, every location, every instance is different, right? But mm-hmm. when I walk into a field, whether I fly into Saskatchewan and it's like, okay, we're going to go hunt this field that our buddy scouted for us. It's good. Birds are using it. We've never seen it in the daylight. Or, you know, we're going to South Louisiana on a teal hunt. doesn't matter, right? Like my, my things that I do where I always start is um, I'm aiming to put the sun and the wind in our back. That's always going to equal a good, uh, the best possible hide. I'm looking for the hide first. And then honestly, all I care about after that is using my decoys for two main things for visibility. So birds can see them. Got, I've never shot a bird that didn't fly over me. So they've got to look at you. Um, and I'm also using my decoys to help the birds finish. I don't care if it looks realistic or not. I'm worried about positioning my decoys where they're not focused on the blind. And they're going to finish right. Those are the only two things I care about. Yes, I want the spread to look super realistic. and But, you know, I used to be a odd numbers guy. Couldn't have an even number of decoys in this family group. But really, uh, I've drifted away from that here in the last last few years. 
And the reason is, is because you can drive, you know, you can drive down a highway in Arkansas and no two fields are going to look the same. You know, I've mm-hmm. never seen a quote unquote unrealistic decoy spread in the best field in Arkansas not work. These birds do whatever they want. They're always different. But um, yeah, some just look unnatural and, and confidence is key in my opinion, uh, especially when setting up a spread. You know, you, if you have confidence during a hunt, um, in my opinion, you're going to you're going to call better. You're just going to call a shot a little bit better. And that's just me. But, uh, you know, I, I truly think that with, if you're confident with your hide and you're confident with how birds are going to finish, that's the, really the two things that matter the most. I don't care if I'm confident the bird thinks the decoys decoy spread looks super realistic. They think they're they think they're birds. They see them. They think they're birds. They hear your call. Checkbox. You're done. The rest of it, you can do more harm than good trying to make your spread look super realistic than you can if you just set up your spread with the mentality of the chess game of, okay, once they see them, where are they going to swing? When they swing this way, can they still see them? If they see them, are they looking straight down at me? So just kind of thinking about that chess game of how can I put my position my decoys in a way where I'm not giving away too much, giving away my position or giving away the luxury of shooting them at 10 yards and having to shoot them at 60. Um Thinking about it from that way on on the front side of the hunt is way more important to me than a super realistic spread. As far as like how the birds are actually sitting in the field, I think you could you could wear an aluminum hat and put your decoys in, in the shape of the American flag and in the right situation. You shoot just as many over it as you would if you you know if you just had the the utmost realistic spread. You took a drone picture of that seventy four group of geese 74 exact geese in a field where they were standing and you could you know drop pins on where every decoy needs to go and which way they were facing those birds don't care all you have to do is make sure that they they look good and they're not you're not giving up the boogeyman uh as soon as they see your spread or any point while they're working yeah i think that's uh, pretty important too you made a you made a really good point uh and we've got some on my little farm we've got a couple different spots the moist soil units that it's truly 360 degree. They, the ducks just come in there all different directions. Makes it tricky sometimes. And it, um, sure. it is not um, not what you were saying where you, you know, with your confidence and in, in that, that confidence in calling the shot, if you can dictate that, you're not going to go, oh man, we should have taken those. Or, oh, you know, that, that was going to probably be our best swing that they were going to make. Um, you know, so that setup is, is crucial to, to to make it where, okay, if, if the duck's getting this window, we're shooting. Um, and, and most hunting holes are set up that way. And obviously hunting in the woods is that way. Uh, they're going to get down inside the canopy and they're going to be, you know, in the hole, you know, later in the season. Yeah. They light off the hole and you may have to spin and shoot them if they get down behind you. But, um, yeah, be able to, to have confidence that, uh, this is the one window I'm looking for the ducks to be in. If they're in it and they're within range, it's go time. Um, and yeah, it's, 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 it's exactly right. I mean, it's understanding your hunt too. I mean, anybody who's watched, watched our show or, or anything, I mean, I, I'm not a perfect hunter. I'm not better than anybody on any given piece of property from a calling or strategy standpoint, but you know, it's just understanding your hunt and it's, you know, every, every place is different. I make mistakes. I have bad shot calls. I'll blow ducks out of the hole. I've blown my call too. I'm guilty of every, every mistake that any hunter makes, but you know, it's just, it's a game of numbers, right? So if you know, cacklers are a great example, right? So if you're hunting little geese and you know that there's 10,000 on a field, you're going to afternoon hunt, the wind's going to blow this direction, and they're all going to come at one time. You better you better be ready when they all come at one time because you're only going to have so many chances. 
you know, then you translate that to like a duck hunt, flooded timber duck hunt in Arkansas. If you know that there's only 10,000 ducks in the refuge next to you and you don't call the shot on birds at 40 because they're not perfect um, and you've seen 9,998 of them, you better let the rope out a little bit and start, you know, calling the shot a little bit better, a little bit taller. I'm not saying sky bust anything, but, you know, that's just understanding your hunt. It's a, it's a game of numbers. And if you know you can get away with a little bit more, get away with a little bit more. If you know that you don't have that luxury and you need to spin around and shoot behind you or, you know, the ducks aren't going to finish right here, maybe we need to back off the hole a little bit or run a smaller spread or run a bigger spread. It's just those variables is what, to, to me, makes it fun. It's just kind of understanding the number side of it and the reality side of it and then just seeing what you how much you can get away with. And in a perfect world, they all finish, you know, in the decoys and you shoot them all. Uh, but, you know, in today's day and age with with so much pressure and, you know, and honestly, a lot of cloudy weather here recently, it's just a hard thing to do. So it's just, you know, setting your expectation at a reasonable level allows you to have a more successful hunt. When you, you know, when you watch TV shows, Star Wars was filmed in space, right? You know, we're, we're setting out to do that. We're going to get our teeth kicked in a lot to bring an episode where birds are just backlapping over the decoys, but that's not how it is every day. I'd like, I'd like for it to be that way for everybody. But um, if you're hunting in a place or at a place where you can do that and every group's going to finish that way, good for you. But if that's what your expectation is and you've at least one pit in Arkansas and you expect that to happen every day, if your expectation is that of what you see on TV or a perfect world we all want, you're going to be highly disappointed and your hunt's going to be not as fun because of honestly your expectation, not because the birds didn't give you the opportunity. You did a lot right. You were just asking for a little bit too much. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Higna Decoys introduced the first motion goose decoy nearly 30 years ago, and they continue to push the industry today. Check out Higdon.com to see their current lineup. And check out the Foamville Decoys, one of my favorites. Seems like there's always somebody in my blind who's ready to water swat the next duck. Yeti. From the legendary hard coolers to the new barware series, Yeti has you covered. Or check out one of my favorite new products from them, the Loadout Series Go Box. Yeti, built for the wild. Uh, let's circle back because this is, I was thinking of this when you were talking about um, silhouettes and specs. Because I, I mean, obviously, anybody that listens to this, this show knows that Case and I have a, a, a definite affection for this, this particular bird. I've hunted them for a long time. Um, and all that, but you know, the, the silhouettes, yeah, they've been around forever, but they've obviously exploded in the marketplace the last, I don't know, five years or so, but, but I don't think a lot of people understand how to truly set up a, uh, either a silhouette only spread because there's, there's plenty of people running that or mixing silhouettes in with your full body decoys. So, you know, from a guy that's obviously developing, developing decoys, testing decoys uh and, and hunting over them a lot why don't you maybe talk through with the listener that you know sure. to make silhouettes most effective this is what you need to be doing and obviously that changes you know, day to day but there's got to be there's got to be some essentials and and everybody would help you know maybe them use them more effectively sure sure yeah so i think i'll just start off with the most common one um Hey man, I've got five dozen full body specs and a few snows mixed in. Um, you know, we're not really hunting where they want to be. We're running traffic on them. We've got a field in, in Arkansas. I want to add some silhouettes just to paint a bigger picture to get more birds attention, which is what silhouettes are made for. It's a great way to do it. Right. So 
my advice to people is, hey, man, how many more decoys do you think you need? Do you need 50 dozen more or do you need five dozen more? And then that's kind of the why in the road, right? So if they're like, hey, I've got five to 10 dozen full bodies already. I just want to, you know, add a little bit more visibility. I advise them, hey, man, get another five to 10 dozen in silhouettes that you can pick up and put out every day. Show the birds a bigger wall of decoys from a distance. Um, I would say go ahead and mix in your motion silhouettes anywhere in your spread. But from a static silhouette standpoint, I firmly believe that birds finish better over full bodies. My advice to them would be put your full, leave your full bodies where they are and put your silhouettes on the upwind side so birds aren't finishing over them. You know, and I'm not, I'm not saying you can't shoot birds finishing over silhouettes. I've done it. A lot of people do it. Every place differs, but if you've got full bodies already, or even if you don't, putting putting the decoy spread, especially silhouettes, where you know birds may not just stick, right? And what I mean by stick is you're going to land the first five birds to get the 50 wad in the back, right? So that's rare with silhouettes, in my opinion, especially with the amount of gunshots around you. It's just it's a hard thing to do. So what I like to do is, in a perfect perfect world, you know, I'm facing the north, I've got a west wind, so you know, the sun may be in my face, but I've got a crosswind, right? So the birds, the wind's coming from left to right as I'm sitting in the blind. So the birds are going to finish from right to left as I am in the blind. I would take my spread, whether I've got full bodies and silhouettes or just silhouettes, and I would move it more upwind. That way, when I'm trying to get the birds to cross in front of the blind, they may be at 20 yards and they may still be 20 yards from the decoys, but they're right in front of the blind. I'm not going to have to risk those birds pushing off the silhouettes. If I put them right in front of me, they're going to push off 20 yards on the right side of the blind as they finish and figure it out. And then they're at 50. So my advice is, you know, if you're, if you're using silhouettes or want to add silhouettes, just be cognizant of where you put them. Birds finish better over full bodies, put your silhouettes on the upwind side. That way birds don't have to get as close to them. It's still going to work. You're still going to have the great big decoy spread effect. And by the time the birds get within 50 yards of them, they're not, you know, they're not, 70 yards from you they're 20 yards from you and still 50 yards from the silhouettes that's that's my biggest piece of advice for anybody for any any species really specs specs mainly they're a weary bird they figure it out but uh, put your put your silhouettes as far up one as you can in adjacence to where you want to shoot them uh, that way they're not bouncing off the silhouettes if they do figure it out whether that's from shine or you know the the two-dimensional aspect of them or they just don't like them whatever it may be but every case is different i say that someone's gonna you know hang their hang their hat on this and think it's just the gospel and it's not but i've seen a lot of birds finish over silhouettes um yeah the worst possible scenarios of just you know whether it's a lot of them or not enough of them uh every situation is different but if i'm just going in blind i'm not going to put the silhouettes where where i expect birds to just finish because a lot of times they will not finish exactly over the silhouettes. They're going to be on the backside or on the front side, a little bit downwind of them. So just just move them up and let the let the birds uh, be where you want to shoot them as far away from the silhouettes as possible. Then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Do you have a do you have a a go to tip on spacing those silhouettes to give them the you know the best most realistic look? It, it just depends. I mean, if I'm if I'm hunting in a in a situation where I'm on the X, uh, number one, not that silhouettes are bad, but I 
probably don't need to run a whole bunch of them. We're, we're going the KISS method, keep it simple, stupid. Um, I'll probably just run full bodies and mix in a few motion silhouettes. But if I, if I don't have that luxury and I'm just, I just have silhouettes in the bed of my truck, um, I would, I would just honestly make them tight, make it look realistic. Um, just be mindful that birds fly in circles, right? They're going to work you in a circle. So uh, the boogeyman disappears. You know, you don't want these birds to be looking at your spread. Then whenever they get to your nine o'clock, all of a sudden they can't see anything because all your decoys are facing the same way. So uh, just put them in a, put them in a manner where no matter where those birds are, you know, first rule of thumb is if you, if you know your birds are all out in front of you and they're going to get up and they've got to decide to fly your way or go the opposite way to your neighbor, of course, you want to put your decoys in a position first and foremost where they're going to see your spread and you want to, you know, really lean on showing the broad side of that decoy. But, you know, after that, make sure that when those birds are working you, after you got their attention, that it looks good and realistic and all your decoys aren't just facing one way. So they disappear. So, you know, really just, uh, you know, if you could just draw, uh, a pie chart really, you know, so you've got a circle with a line, kind of like a, um, a peace sign, right? So you've just got, they're all kind of facing different ways, just position them different ways, make it look realistic, but at the same time, don't make it look super, uh, super just cookie cutter of them all kind of facing one way, or they're all kind of walking uphill. Uh, I think you just, you're, you're wasting a lot of your decoy, a lot of your effort and the amount of decoys you have just kind of goes out of the window if the birds can't see them. So just, position them all a different way and that way no matter where birds are or how they're working you they've got something to look at i was, <clears throat> I was gonna say i think it's interesting that you mentioned them all walking the same way i've spent thousands of hours watching these birds through binoculars when we were involved you know reading color marked birds but anyway you body language says everything about a flock if they're all moving one direction it's usually because they are upset. They're nervous. They're spooked. Uh, if they sure. got their heads up. It's even worse, you know. So that's a. I think it's an interesting and a good point that you made there. Yeah, I think it. I think it matters, right? Like I'm a. I'm a huge proponent, and um, you know, no matter what it is, full body silhouettes doesn't matter, um, or even honestly, rags with snow geese. Like I don't want anywhere near half my spread to have heads up decoys. Like I would, like in a perfect world, I'd buy a box of decoys. It's way heavy on the feeder side, like birds that are feeding are content. That's the picture we're trying to paint. I, I firmly believe that, you know, these birds are very smart, but anybody who turkey hunts here, sometimes they can be the smartest bird in the world. And sometimes they're the dumbest bird in the world, but they're still smart. They, they're, their instinct is not to die. So you ride by up the road in Arkansas and see a field of geese and you want to look at them or take pictures of them. You stop the truck. They're all going to look at you and they're going to settle down, right? So all their heads are up. They're kind of looking at you and they, then they all go back to eating. They get comfortable. You open that door every one of them head comes up it's because they're scared. That's whether it's a coyote an Eagle doesn't matter. Like uh, to me, any type of bird, I don't care if it's a ringneck, a coot, a spoonie, whatever people classify as quote unquote dumb birds, which they're not Rams are my favorite. They know what's going on. These <laughs> birds fly over and if they see a bunch of heads up decoys, they know to it, it's, it's the kind of the variable, right? That's my opinion. I'm not a bird. I, I don't see like a bird or think like a bird, but they know what heads up decoys are. Give me all feeders and I'm happy. You know, it's they're they're happy and content and they're not looking for the boogeyman. Yeah. Well, that's the first thing that happens for they all fly. Heads go up. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. And the only time I've ever seen them all like feed in one direction is like, or like walk up a hill like that. I, I've seen it, but it's when there's 60,000 birds 200 yards away from them and they land right there and they're all in a hurry to go jump in front of them to go get the grain. Right. So, yep. I mean, they're not going to want to land there anyway. So if they're all feeding one way and you got them all facing one way, those that's telling the birds in my head, Hey, just keep flying up the hill. They're all headed for something. Go beat them to it. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, 
I don't know. I'm not a bird, but that's, it matters, but it doesn't. But I mean, I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. Well, so changing gears a little bit, I know you, you've hunted Canada this year, obviously Arkansas, Missouri, and other places. Talk to us a little bit about what you've seen. Uh, how's the hunting been? How have the birds been? What, what's been your experience so far this year? Well, um, anybody knows me know, knows I've got more luck than sense. So I've had one heck of a hunting season. You know, before before Thanksgiving, I had already hunted 30 days between, I say, you know, our duck season, which is around Thanksgiving. You know, I hunted 12, 13 days in Alberta. I hunted another 12 days with, with Ira up in northwest Missouri, with our show and, and DUTV. And, and honestly, had crap weather the whole time. Had terrible weather, cloudy, warm. It didn't matter if it was October or, or November. Um, it has not been good weather, but I've gotten lucky. I've had really good success, but everywhere I've gone, um, I've seen a lot of juvenile birds. I mean, whether it's snow geese, Canada's big Canada, small Canada specks, mallards, pintail. I mean, from, from Canada to Ira's up in Northwest Missouri, I mean, five, six to one first year birds to adults, um, which is kind of conflicting with what we're seeing here, like middle of our season, you know, people are so dreary and just want to say oh it's over it's terrible you know we're still shooting our ducks from halloween and that's true but there's still a lot of ducks on top of us um and there's a lot of young birds which is good news in my opinion we hadn't got the weather we need to get them here uh, but they'll they'll come hopefully before february 1st so we have a crack at them but there's a you know, there's a i'm blessed i am to be able to travel and, and do this for a living and go where the birds are um it's it's my job uh but I mean, it's not great here yet. And we're in Western Kentucky here in Paducah. And, and you know, I've got some reports from some local guys here that we're, we've picked up a lot of birds in the last 48 hours uh, for no reason, really. It's, you know, it gotten to the high 20s last night, but it's 45 degrees here right now. That Birds don't have to migrate. I mean, it's not like it's two degrees in St. Louis, but the birds are going to come. But there's a lot of young birds. I, I mean, you know, I did a bee pop, um, pot, uh, live deal with Ducks Unlimited earlier this year, preseason outlook. And everything was looking great. And, you know, I don't think any any of the things that we're seeing right now from just the lack of harvest from the lower Mississippi flyway, a lot of people are complaining, but really it hasn't even started yet. We're, we're still hunting our ducks that we've got from Veterans Day to, you know, Halloween, the, the first batch of birds that are just coming. I think it's a lot of adults. I think it's just a lot of birds that are just getting out. Um, I think the best is yet to come. I'm a perpetual optimist, but... To answer your question, I've seen a lot of really good things. That's going to mean a, a good migration of ducks. Unfortunately, um, you can't push the season back 30 days just because at Christmas Day it's not good yet. But, I mean, it's in my opinion, it's a really good thing. I think we're having a great year. I think we had a great hatch across the board, and I think we just need weather. So we're just going to sit and wait for weather and, and dance a little bit and hope it hope it snows north of us and, and hope we get some snow cover and hope these birds just have to move. But they haven't had to move yet, so I don't blame them. Yeah, that's uh, I mean, that's what everybody is waiting on is that is that cold snap and um, you know, to push in everything because I don't even think and in case and I've talked about this before, um, I don't think we got the typical Halloween mallard push at least in Arkansas we didn't, and uh, it definitely the snows were delayed in arriving and usually snows and mallards kind of you know show up about the same time. So part of me thinks, you know, like you just said, you had some birds show up in the last 48 hours that they, they really didn't have a reason to. Um, and 
um, I've been hunting some different places the last couple of days and have not been mine where I can, I can tell what's going on. Cause you know, your own place as well, uh, far better than, you know, somewhere else. And, um, so I don't know if we've picked up birds or not, you know, time will tell I'll be, I'll be back there tomorrow, but, um, you know, I do think, you know, with some of these photo period or calendar migrators, I think we're three, four weeks behind. So maybe that lends some truth to your 48, you know, that what you've picked up in the last 48 hours, um, that these calendar migrators, it's, they're just set back a little bit and what, you know, whatever caused that yeah. caused it. Um, yeah. I mean, and that, that, that's a hundred percent right though. And the birds know, like they've got this sixth sense, whether we like to think it's all data driven or not, but I mean, let's just be honest. You look at, you look at the, the numbers, you look at what's going on preseason, during season, what's going to happen postseason. We don't know yet, but it was dry. It was warm. Yeah. Well, there's from what I saw, we had a great hatch. There was a lot of birds around, but there wasn't a lot of habitat. So these, these birds are in no rush to go somewhere where they know there's not a lot of water, you know, we're picking up water, but still it's 45 degrees. It's January 1st. And there's a two mile an hour, negative two mile an hour East wind outside. I mean, it's just, what the birds are going to do, what's best for the birds. Thankfully, that's what they're good at. I mean, what fun would it be if they all came the day of duck season and we all just got to sit in Arkansas and had no rules and we can just sit there and shoot every one of them. You know, I, I would be lying if I said that wouldn't be fun, but 10 years from now, I wouldn't, if every duck season was like that, it would not translate to a, a good sustainable population of mallard ducks. But I mean, you know, I, I've only hunted uh, since I say probably um, I hunted once in Kentucky this year. I hunted Christmas Day, took my little brother, uh, and and just looking at what's going on, the, the three to four week behind thing. Um, I don't know if they're late or early or what, as far as you know, just the birds doing bird things. But I've seen from from all the way in September, whether it was with teal or mallards or pintail, from from here in you know Kentucky, Missouri, uh, Arkansas to Alberta. I mean, I've seen more courtship flights and more paired up ducks this year than ever uh, that I can remember. And like I said, I'm only 32. I'm, I'm no wise expert or professional hunter or, or biologist, but I've seen the birds act a lot differently this year, uh, regardless of number of ducks and where they're staged up at and what they're doing. They're just, they're acting different, but you know, I think they're, honestly, I think you can attribute the courtships and the, the paired up ducks to, well, these ducks showed up on Halloween here in Kentucky and there was only 10,000 of them and now they're just bored. You know, what else are they going to do? They're not going anywhere. They're happy. There's not a lot of pressure because a lot of people have thrown the towel in or can't shoot them because they're smart and they're nocturnal. But I mean, it's just, it's just ducks doing duck stuff. But the one thing that I always tell people is the best thing you could ever do is, is be only one step behind mother nature when it comes to hunting. Most of the time we're two or three steps behind her, but the, the equalizer there that offsets that is, especially with ducks and especially with mallards is, if you have something they have to have, it's going to work. And, and what, what I mean by that is if it froze and you have open water or it got really cold and then you just have an abundance of ducks because they couldn't be north of you. So it's, it's new ducks. We really haven't had that yet. So when that does happen, then I think we can all step back and, and place our judgment on what this duck season really looked like. But I'm just waiting for it like everybody else. I'm excited to see. But, you know, I haven't I haven't seen anything from the western Kentucky side of thing in Arkansas where. I've hunted a handful of times is, you know, I, I've never felt like I was only one step behind mother nature. I've felt five or six steps behind mother nature from, for different variables, but you know, that's going to get offset. The only, the only thing that's going to offset that is weather. you know, the ducks are not in need of anything we have to give them right now. They've got everything that they need and they're happy. 
Yeah, that that's for sure. It has, you know, the mild weather is definitely, definitely a factor. Um, you know, Case and I both believe there's some other things at play too, but uh, weather, this abnormally oddball winter, which is going to happen. It's, it's part of the cycle of things. But I, I just saw my first courtship flights on Friday. I hunted uh, the timber kind of south end of Bimeda, um not, uh, you know, not on the public ground. This is private, but but real close to the wildlife management area. But I saw two different courtship flights. That's the first time I've seen that. I've seen a ton of paired up ducks already. Um, but uh, let me ask you this on, you know, and I was chosen. I was one of the people that put in to do the duck DNA thing that uh, Ducks Unlimited is kind of overseeing. But University of Texas El Paso has got a waterfowl biologist that is testing the wild, you know, mallards we harvest and trying to determine how much game farm mallard uh, is in our, what we see as, you know, wild North American mallards. Um, as far as Kentucky's concerned, where do, where do y'all's ducks come from? Uh, and where are they, you know, where are they pushing from? Because there's a, the way I understand it, there is a big concern that there is a lot of game farm mallards in the Great Lakes ducks. Uh, that that contingent of ducks, which you know, in Arkansas we don't get those ducks. Does Kentucky get sure. those? Where do your ducks come from, and and is is that on the radar in, in your part of the world? Sure, yeah, actually, we um, and, and I'm no expert at this, but I'm just an eager duck hunter. But I had the luxury of spending some time with Dr. Bradley Cohen with the Cohen Wildlife Lab. Uh, they're doing some really cool research in Western Tennessee, just from the telemetry side, uh, CJ Highway. Um, they've become good buddies of mine and I've got to see a little behind the scenes stuff working with them on, on just backpack ducks, you know, that, that we helped with. And, and then there's their test study of all their birds from Western Tennessee and just seeing where these birds are going, when they're moving, where they, where they nest, where they winter, when they move, how they move based off of weather and pressure. And, and it's really eye opening. Um, and I really haven't learned enough to really give a, a huge opinion on, on the game farm bird side of things, but I know it's important and we need to figure it out. But, you know, just looking at the small test sample and, and no offense to Dr. Bradley Cohen and his team, but, you know, it's a small blip on the radar. So I, I don't know where our ducks come from. I know where those ducks come from, you know, hundreds of ducks, uh, not hundreds of thousands of ducks that pass through here in Western Kentucky here at the confluence in Ohio, Mississippi river. It's a, it's a huge area for birds pass through this area. Now, as far as the birds that we winter and that stay here and stage up here on a regular basis year after year, uh, Saskatchewan. Um, a lot of our mallard ducks are, are going to Saskatchewan uh, around the Quill Lakes area. Uh, those are the, the ducks that, you know, I know are going there because they have, you know, cell phone GPS backpacks on them. Uh, but that that's not all of them. I don't know where all of them come from. We get some from the East Coast that fly the Tennessee River. We get some from the Central Flyway. Uh, but, you know, historically, just looking at the data of birds that have transmitting backpacks on them, our birds are coming from Saskatchewan, but you know, we shoot bands just like everybody else around here and they could come from the Dakotas. They can come from the great lakes area. They can come from Utah. I mean, they're, it's kind of all over the place. So I don't have enough data to really say here's where the majority of our ducks come from, but the, 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 the test pool of the birds that we're trying to learn from are, are going to Saskatchewan, North Dakota, South Dakota, uh, just that Nebraska corridor flying up towards, you know, Northwest Missouri and then, and then coming down, which is an interesting place where, uh, we hunt with Ira up there near Habitat Flats. There's like a, a Y there just north of him in, in southeast Nebraska, right? So those birds come down and they've got to decide 
Are we going right to the Central Flyway? Or are we going left to the Mississippi Flyway? So I don't know. I don't know, but um, our birds aren't coming from Maryland. I can tell you that. I, I know our birds are coming from north of us. I can tell you that. But I would not be shocked if a lot of the birds that, that we harvest are, you know, game farm bird derived. Um, short story. I was back six years ago when I was doing customer service here at Higdon Outdoors. Uh, I was still wet behind the ears. I had a guy call. He was from uh, North Dakota or South Dakota. I need to find this guy. I was telling the story the other day, but he is one of the largest game farm mallard distributors in North America. And, and he called, I can't remember what product he wanted to know about, or it was one of our, our warthog pumps, a floating pump or something. He wanted it, but he raises game farm birds and ships them everywhere by the truckload um, for the pen, whether it's, you know, dog training or the pin race farm release mallard stuff or, or just farms. And he said, yeah, I watched your show and you guys, you guys shot one of my birds. And it was a, a the show that he referenced was, hunt here at the Higdon farm in Western Kentucky. And I just, you know, talked to him for an hour. I don't remember the guy's name or his operation, but, um, he was like, yeah, no, I can tell based off the shape of the head. And, you know, he's like, you, he's like a lot of people shoot my ducks. They don't realize what it is. And, uh, so I know it's real, you know, and, and I don't know if he's the largest one or the hundredth largest one or whatever, but I know it's affecting our mallard population. And, and I don't say our mallard population as in central Mississippi flyway here in Western Kentucky, uh, ours as, as duck hunters, you know, it's, there is a, there is a huge impact on the, on the wild mallard, uh, from domesticated mallard release. So, uh, I'm interested to see what the data shows, but I hope I don't find out that all the ducks that I've been getting my teeth kicked in by come from a, a guy in South Dakota that's raising them and teaching them how to stay away from hunters. <laughs> and then he's releasing them. I'd be really upset. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't feel as good of a hunter if I knew that they all were born five months ago in a cage somewhere. And this guy was, you know, hand feeding them, uh, make, it'd make me feel like I didn't know what I was doing, but it may be reality. You know, there's a lot of, a lot of things that go there, but, but yeah, you never know. No, we don't. It's going to be interesting what comes out of that. Now there's still a, there's a belief that very few of the ducks that make it to us are, there's, there's not going to be a lot of game farm mallards in the ducks we see in Arkansas. Now, whether that's true or not, time will tell, but we used to have, uh, there were some shooting preserves, if you want to call them that, like people do with pen raised pheasants and quail and everything else. We used to have some of those in Arkansas uh, because the guy I get my dogs from, that's where he would go work his dogs as people uh, would go to these deals because it was high volume um, deal shooting these game farm mallards. And that was in that was in southern Arkansas County, uh, the one I recall, uh, you know, south of Stuttgart. Um and uh, that those got banned. I can't remember how long it's been, um, but probably in the last 10, 15 years. So it makes you wonder, okay, how many of those ducks that survived, you know, all that shooting going on, on this deal, have them mixed into the wild population and where it's gone from them. So it, I have a hard time believing there's not any game farm mallard presence in, in what we see in Arkansas, it, it, but uh, the odds are it's probably pretty small, but yeah, those things were outlawed. I wish I could remember. Um, cause it'd be a question of whether those ducks, it's, I doubt any of those ducks are still alive, but you know, did they pass on their genetics and breed with a wild mallard and, and, and that's where we are. And that's why they're doing the study. Yeah. Whether it's 1% or 80%, I mean, I, I doubt it's 80%, like you said, but you know, I'm sure there is some impact and the East coast stuff is really what kind of intrigues me. And, and just looking yeah. at, um, looking at, at their migration or lack thereof of mallard ducks, it's like, yeah, well, we, 
the fact that we're paying attention to it and we're asking ourselves the questions, um, not that we're too late or too early, but it's a good thing that we're at least looking into it. So I, I firmly support that. And one thing that stuck with me from this guy, and, and I, I don't know, this guy could have just been full, full of it. You know, I, I don't know how legitimate he was, but he, he told me, you know, he's, he sells, you know, 50,000 ducks a year. I think is the number he told me um, will fit on a truck and he, he sells a truck or two a year, whatever that is, or how much he raises. And, you know, he said a lot of them come back. You know, he sells them and they come back and he keeps them there. They're all pin raised, but they stay there on his ponds. I remember looking at his ponds on Google Earth. I wish I saved his information, his data, but, and I don't want to get the guy in trouble, but um, he was telling me a, a large percentage of them actually will migrate back to him. So if that tells you anything, based off of what you said, if, if this place in Arkansas 15 years ago was buying 10,000 ducks from him, releasing them, and 2,000 lived, and then those 2,000 made it back to South Dakota, why couldn't they breed? You know, or yeah. maybe the other, maybe 3,000 of them migrated back and a thousand of them were hens and went to Saskatchewan. So, I mean, I think it's highly practical. Um, that is hundred percent not data driven. That's just, if that's real, which it may or may not be, I don't know. Um, I, I think that it's, we're, I think the data is going to point to, yeah, there is some influence and as to what that translates to, um, who knows, but yeah, I think it's definitely important to figure out, especially if it's what's causing our birds to, you know, whatever. I, I don't personally know any uh, domesticated mallard duck that has that I could have a conversation with about its traits that differ from wild mallard ducks. But if they migrate late or have smaller wings and can't migrate as far or more prone to be nocturnal or they're deaf or blind, whatever, um, I would be curious to know because I'd like to figure it out. If you, The more you understand the bird you're hunting, the more successful you could hunt it. So um, not like we're hunting pen-raised deer, you know, not that not that I'm a big fan of that, but if that's the bird we have and we're going to have because of its influence on our population, I'd like to get to know it a little bit better and know how we can keep its population around or, you know, or get it back to what it was or whatever that sustainability looks like. The, the data is important. Brooke, I've got a question for you. We've, we've covered a lot of stuff here, but I kind of want to get back to where you and I really first met. And that was on a, on a deal with DUTV, uh, Jim Ronquist kind of put that together or got everybody involved in that. You guys were part of that. And I want to talk about y'all's relationship with Ducks Unlimited as a yeah. primary sponsor and and why that's important and significant to you guys. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a you know big deal. Higdon Outdoors is the official decoy of Ducks Unlimited. So any, any decoy that you buy from Higdon Outdoors, a percentage of that goes to Ducks Unlimited, um, which is, which is great. You know, they're the largest, largest, conservation organization <clears throat> um and they're doing more for ducks than anybody else so i have a lot of people call me and say you know, ducks unlimited is antichrist but a lot of that's just ignorance they don't see what's really going on du is the future of duck hunting as far as um trying to sustain duck populations and, and habitat so um i don't care if you like ducks limited or not you're wrong if you don't um everybody's entitled to their own opinion but um yeah, we're, we're investing in the future of duck hunting. We understand as a company that without duck hunting, we're probably not going to sell a lot of duck decoys. Um, so there's only so many grandmas that want fake swans and, and decoys in their pond in front of their house. Uh, duck hunters, duck hunters are what we built this business on. So the more ducks, the better the duck hunting, the, the longer people can duck hunt, um, the more product we're going to sell. And I say that not to, you know, not to be pompous or that's say like, that's all we care about, but Ducks Unlimited is the rock that kind of keeps all that together. And, and hunters are, it's a duck hunters organization. You know, it's a, it's a company that is held on a pedestal and supported by duck hunters. Duck hunters do more for conservation than anybody else. 
So why would we not take those duck hunters who see value in Ducks Unlimited and inject ourselves into investing, reinvesting duck hunters' money? They're buying decoys from Hicken Outdoors. We give a percentage of that back to the conservation organization that's helping though that population of migratory waterfowl and duck hunters are also supporting it. So the way I see it is you're kind of wrong if you don't. Duck hunters as a group are supporting an organization. Who are we to not support that organization too? So it's, you know, I firmly believe in it. I've made a lot of friends in the, the DU world and, and a lot of great people. And, and it's a, I, I really think that they're going to be the reason that my great grandchildren may have a chance to hunt is because of what Ducks Unlimited is doing, you know, as far as habitat goes. So, yeah, I'm proud of it. And I know we are as a company, they've been a great partner and, um, you know, whether it's DU magazine or DU TV or just the personal relationships that kind of bring people together like you and I, Kason, it's, uh, it's, it's what brings duck hunters together and it's what brings duck hunters closer to ducks. So it's, in my opinion, if you don't contribute to ducks Unlimited, you're kind of, uh, and you're a duck hunter, you're, you're really, you know, not really that you're doing the wrong thing, but you could be doing more as a duck hunter. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's kind of natural. People pretty quickly surround themselves with, with folks, individuals, brands, whatever, that are all pulling in the same direction. And I think as sportsmen, we, we tend to find those people quickly, uh, as yeah. we did on a uh, hunt anyway. So I appreciate what you guys are doing. Yeah, well, I know. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, I would like to sit here and say that everybody buys our decoys because we're the official decoy ducks limited, but at the end of the day, people just want good products and that's what we try to do. That's our primary focus. But the people who see value in ducks limited, they are choosing to buy our decoys because of our endowment and, and what, what our con contribution is conservation through ducks limited. And, and a uh, hundred years from now, we're going to look back and, you know, we're going to say, man, we're really glad that we, we help ducks limited get, you know, get this going. And, and there's just, you know, there's a lot of negativity out there and a lot of duck hunters want to place blame on, a million things about why duck hunting's not good, whether it's weather or their neighbor or whatever. Normal, you know, farming farming practices have have gotten a lot more uh, a lot more efficient. I mean, there's just a million variables, but I can tell you one thing: an organization that's <laughs> that's building habitat for ducks is not the antichrist uh, in any situation. They're not they're not trying to hurt duck hunters. Their goal is to put more ducks in the sky. And I can be friends with anybody who wants help the mallard duck population, the speck population, really all of them. I mean, they're, they're focused on a lot of other things, but I can be friends with anybody who wants to make a healthier, happier waterfowl population. I don't care what they do. I'm in. Right. For sure. Well, you, you mentioned good decoys there. I'm transitioning here for a second. I got to tell the story and then uh, I'll, I'll move on. But uh, we're talking to some of our clients the other day and we mentioned, you know, don't worry about hitting a decoy. They're foam filled. They're going to be fine. You know, and unfortunately, one of my clients took that a little too seriously. Uh, I'm going to send him a, a t-shirt. What does he want? <laughs> <laughs> I'll send you a picture of the decoy, but we had one land in the woods. And I don't know how he hit the duck on the water because I bet there's over 100 pellets in the decoy. I mean, he rolled it over. I saw the keel <laughs> come up vertical. And I was like, oh, my God, that's not what I meant when I said don't worry about the decoys. Shoot uh, yeah, but it's hey, we're still using it. It's uh, it's not as pretty as it was when it was new, but it's still very functional and floats very well. Case so, and I know a guy. I will replace that decoy. You let your customer <laughs> shoot a decoy as much as you want. I I am the worst. <laughs> you know, I've I've got to be careful. Um, I, I honestly don't hunt a lot for fun anymore. You know, a lot of it's what I do for work, and and I'm not complaining, but uh, I don't get to fun hunt like I used to. I used to fun hunt forty days a year. Now, now I duck hunt 
whether it's more or less, but a lot of it is very work driven. So that, that translates to hunting over Higdon decoys and, and they're all foam filled, you know, so I shoot our decoys. I do not care. Uh, they're made to be shot. Um, they're going to get shot. The, the goal is to, the goal is to put the ducks in the decoys and I'm not scared to shoot a duck next to a decoy and shoot the decoy. I'm not, that's the last thing I'm worried about. But when I do fun hunt with people who are not running Higdon decoys, um, I have been trained through the years to not care about decoys and I have bought a lot of decoys. <laughs> they will land in there or there's a cripple or something. And I don't, you know, I don't want my dog to have chase bird all the way around. I'm going to just finish it and send the dog. I have shot a lot of decoys that are not foam filled and, I'm like, oh, well, I'm glad I work for a decoy company because I owe you half a dozen. Um, but <laughs> you will never see as big of a smile on someone's face when you let them shoot a decoy. Their whole lives, they have been taught, don't shoot the decoys. Right. I say, That's hocus pocus. Let them shoot them. There. <laughs> we're, we're here to shoot ducks, not protect decoys. Shoot them. Get yeah. yourself a tool, not a toy. Let your customers shoot them. They're happy as can be. Just go for it. It's one less thing to worry about. And it is fun to destroy, try to destroy decoys, but you won't. Just yeah. shoot them. He, was, them. he was gracious about it and, and was trying to buy a decoy and all this. I was like, man, don't, don't worry about it. That wasn't what I had in mind, but the decoy is fine. <laughs> and, and you killed the duck. So that's good. You said, shoot the ducks. You never <laughs> said, don't shoot my decoys when you call the shot. That's the way I see it. Hey, it's a man on a mission. I don't blame the guy. I'm just as bad, if not worse than he is. I promise. Yeah. Well, Hey, that's a high pressure situation. You miss that duck on the water and everybody's going to get on your case about it. So. I'm guilty of it too. And I shoot decoys and I mean, look, I'm just a duck hunter, you know, and, and I'm, I do not have a, a large surplus of disposable income, but I mean, if it's like, Hey, we're going to scratch, it's the last 10 minutes of shoot light. And if we don't shoot this duck, we're going to walk out of here with a goose egg. And it just so happens to land by somebody's brand new decoy. It's getting shot. I mean, I'm, and you better hope it's foam filled because I'm that guy. I mean, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to shoot the duck. We came here to shoot the duck and we're going to shoot the duck. We earned the duck and we're going to eat and life's going to be good, but I'm not worried about your prize possession floater duck decoy. We can get you another one tomorrow. Yeah. And you probably catch a lot more hell for if you brick the shot than you do over shooting the decoy. Um, so can't say, yeah, can't say blame too much. Decoy is always, always replaceable for sure. Yeah. Oh, I mean, everything everything's, you know, it just depends who you are and where you're from. And I don't set out to shoot people's decoys, but um, when it comes down to it, that's not the initiative is to protect Billy Bob's decoys. The initiative is to have a good time, shoot ducks, full ducks and make some memories. And if a decoy has to get in the way of me and that goal, we're going to do it. You know, it's just part of it. We make decoys every day. We can replace them. That's right. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, okay. Uh, we've done this on a few of our past shows, and then sometimes we get on some topics and we get kind of long, and and so Casey and I make a make a decision to kind of just skip this part. But you know, you, you you're out and about a lot, uh, doing lots of um, uh, whatever you want to call it, PR and and obviously marketing and relationship building and all that. And so you see a lot of different scenarios and and talk to a lot of different people. And probably have a lot of different opinions on on things, but um, we've we've asked some guests, and so we're going to ask you, uh, you know, if you could change one thing about modern day duck hunting, what would it be, and why? I'm about to make a lot of friends. I'm gonna be very honest. <laughs> Get rid of early spec season. It's not helping anybody. 
and make the bar higher for quote unquote guide services would be the two things in, in my life and the people that I come in contact with. I'm not saying that, you know, we should get rid of all of it. I think we should reevaluate the impact of too many guide services and too much pressure on birds uh, preseason, I think are, are huge affecting, you know, contributors to things that influence ducks and geese. And now that may not be right. Just I'm saying based off of what I see and the people I talk to, where to point the finger, whether that's ignorant or it's the best opinion on earth, I would say we need to understand what the ducks are telling us. And we need to step back as a community and say, there's too much pressure on these birds. We need to understand what the pressure does to them. And we need to leave some of that pressure and, and let ducks be ducks and not be so bloodthirsty that every field they land in, they need to be hunted. Uh, I think that is the, the, the two biggest things that are affecting duck season in our little small world. Um, and spec season two is the amount of pressure that we have. There's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it. I know that's not in everybody's best interest. And trust me, I love early spec hunting just as much as everybody else because it's great. But that doesn't mean I'm naive to the fact that it's not affecting those early migrating mallard ducks and, and making them nocturnal or, or pushing them off the places or forcing them to a refuge. Um, I think there's, there's, it's a double-edged sword. There's a lot of duck hunters. There's a lot of people who want to duck hunt and that's great. Um, but there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. And we just need to figure out the wrong way based off of data and, and what its effects are. A lot of people hunting or too many people hunting a certain area or at the wrong times. Uh, we can all form opinions on whether it's not hunting afternoons or not hunting early season or letting the ducks rest or not letting the ducks rest or moving seasons. Or you can't just pay a hundred bucks for a guide license and take people's money and bring them on bootleg hunts. There's a lot of things that aren't right, but we need to figure out what's causing these ducks to change from ducks as we know them or knew them 10 years ago to what they're becoming now. Uh, that's not a trend that we all love, but we just need to look at what's sustainable for the population. And I think hunting pressure is a uh, hunting pressure and lack of habitat um, from a management standpoint, uh, I think are, are the two biggest things that are changing ducks and changing geese. So, uh, my opinion is there's too many people duck hunting in, in certain areas. And I don't mean like I want to remove hunter opportunity. I'm meaning way too many people are hunting at one time in any one given area based off the amount of ducks in an area, you know, no duck safe. And, and, you know, it's easy to manage that whenever you own the property and it's 10,000 acres and you can let the ducks rest. But when we're looking at wildlife management areas and, and federal refuges, no matter where it is, what state it's in, when there's, when there's not a lot of ducks and there's a lot of people and we hunt them from sunrise to sunset, we're changing ducks behavior. You know, we can, we, as humans, we train ducks to march up and down the elevator at the Peabody hotel. You know, if you don't think that we're training ducks and geese to change their behavior, you know, we're wrong. We need to figure out what, to what extent we're changing their behavior and what's causing it and, and just manage our pressure a little bit better. And, and I think in, in my opinion, um, the, the other side of that coin is how much pressure you can apply to a, a, a renewable resource or non-renewable resource being duck population, migratory duck population during a wintering period, the more ducks you have, the more you can get away with, the more weather you have, the more ducks are going to come through that area that are going to be reset for lack of a better term. But pressure is the the other side of that ratio. And, and we're doing a good job of putting a lot of pressure on birds um, and it is affecting birds. So we need to understand what that means to sustain the population and hunter opportunity comes into play with that. When you, everybody wants to duck hunt, and I understand that, but everybody wants to go have a good duck hunt. So 
let's all figure out how we can go have more good duck hunts, not just be able to go out and hunt and have bad hunts and just figure out what that, that, you know, yin and yang is there and just do a better job as hunters to disrespect that and, and do what's right for the bird and do what's right for the, the group of people hunting next to you and make sure that when you go and beat them up one day, you know, and somebody from another state drives 10 hours to come hunt because it's the day that they can hunt. They've got off of work that we leave them something to hunt to that. We don't take that opportunity away from them. Uh, everybody can have fun and, and do this thing together. So we need to come together as a community, make better decisions as far as applying pressure to populations of winning birds. That's my answer. Yeah. Well, I, I think we're due, uh, due for everybody. And I mean, everybody, I mean, everybody, uh, waterfowl science community, the hunter, the, anyone involved in the sport, I think, you know, we're on a, we're on a trend and that trend's not great. Um, and it's time for everybody to take a step back and, and see what they can do to help change this, this trend line that we're on. Um, cause if you keep doing the same old thing, you're probably gonna keep getting the same old results. And, um, that's where I think we are. I'm, we're not, we've, Case and I've gotten accused of being advocates for a 30 day season, which is absolutely incorrect. Um, not beating that drum whatsoever. Now, if that's what the science says, that's what we got to live with. Now, is the science good? Is the data good? Those are the things that we kind of kick around, but, um, you know, we, we do, we need to take another look at this deal and, and see where we are because we're not, we're not trending in the right direction to make us perpetuate the sport the way we either grew up doing it experienced it at one point in time so maybe this season with the, the the funky winter and the you know the ducks not making it as far south as as they as they have in the past this particular year maybe this is the year that everybody goes all right what what do we need to do to get this thing back on track yeah yeah i think i think we're all on the same page you know and i'll use i'll use the west coast as an example and I don't want to sound like I really don't have super strong opinions on any of this because I'm not a scientist and I'm not an expert uh, just from what I see. But the West Coast, you know, the Pacific Flyway, they've got less duck hunters. They've got a lot of ducks. So the duck hunter to duck ratio is great. You know, they don't have as many ducks as we have. They, they harvest a bunch. They don't harvest as much as we do, but they've got a 120 day season and a very liberal limit. Go shoot seven mallards if you want to a day. They can do that because they have less hunters per duck. There's not, there's not 700 people trying to hunt one public area at any given time. Maybe there are in some places, like I said, I'm not an expert, but you know, I want everyone who wants to get into duck hunting to be able to have an opportunity to hunt public land or private and be able to go and have a good time and shoot, shoot ducks. I'm not saying we need to go shoot a thousand a day. You know, that that's kind of where we set our expectation these days with, with social media is man, look at this, huge tailgate picture and I'm guilty of it too. I love going rack the lever back and having a great hunt. Um, and I'm not the great white hunter, you know, I just, I like to have fun and I'm young and I like doing it too. It's a good time. And I'd be lying if I said, I didn't like beating the brakes off of them. But when you're doing it every day on every single farm, it's gonna hurt the amount of opportunity that anybody else has around you. I mean, it's just, it's give and take, you know, when you got a lot of money in the bank, you can spend a lot of money. When you don't have a lot of money in the bank, you can't expect to go spend a bunch of money and not have repercussions. I mean, it's just where we are is, is it's, we got to hunt the hunt we have. we got to hunt the birds we have, and we just have to make sure that we're on the right track. And we may be, we may be doing, be doing the right thing at the right time 
And I'm not saying we need a 120 day season like, like the Pacific Northwest has, but you know, maybe 60 days is too much. Maybe it's not enough. Heck, I don't know. But what we're doing right now and what we're seeing, what I'm seeing from younger hunters and older hunters of what the expectation is, is you, you know, excuse my language, but you're not shit if you're not shooting limits every day. Um, that's kind of the expectation that people have, and they're not a good hunter if that's not what they're doing. That's just wrong. I think that's where the root of the evil starts is that's not what we should be focused on. We should be focused on if I want to take a new duck hunter hunting on a piece of public or private, we should be able to go and see ducks and not have to worry about, man, what is, what does this look like? Why are we not seeing ducks? Why are they not flying during the day? Why don't we have any? I'm just making sure that we're not contributing to making it worse than it is. I think is our role in the ecosystem and in and, and the species of waterfowl is we just got to stay out of their way and let them do what they're going to do naturally and just know how much we can inject ourselves, whether it's through um, unrealistic habitat, through amount of hunting pressure, through hunting hours, season dates. I mean, we just have to be very careful of how much pressure we put on the birds from all different aspects of that, you know, of what affects a duck and, and the things that make them not fun to hunt and not give us opportunities to be able to successfully go and shoot some. And that's, you know, them being nocturnal, them not migrating, you know, they're, them not sticking around, them not decoying, them being call shy, them being decoy shy. I mean, there's a lot of things. So we just need to be very careful of our impact on them as human beings in the ecosystem and make sure we're trending the right way and we stay out of their way and let them be ducks. To me, when you let a duck, a wild duck, be a wild duck, you get to hunt wild ducks. As soon as you start making them not wild ducks, things get harder and we better keep doing what we're doing because if we get out of the way, with enough time, we're going to jeopardize, you know, what they rely on and, and what they're doing. We're going to change them or we're going to destroy them. So we, we don't need to do that. We just need to be very cognizant of what we're doing as a species to not affect theirs. Yeah, Brent, uh, if I didn't know any better, I would say that Brooke definitely listens to the podcast based on the, the way he started that answer. <laughs> yeah, we, we've kicked that topic around a few times for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, maybe maybe preaching to the choir here on, on a couple of those, but uh, like minds, man, I'll I'll take it. And look, I am not. I am a you know a face and a, a spokesperson. You know our brands here taking outdoors, but anybody listening, I mean that is that may not be the politically correct stance, but as a hunter, that's who I am. That's what I believe in. It's what I see. Um, I firmly believe that we just need to be careful. That's my um, politically correct statement. Is I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like the way things are going. Um, we just need to we just need to make sure that we are doing the right thing um, because I want to be doing this, you know, in 60 years. God willing, I'll be alive taking my great grand grandchild hunting. Um, I, I want to make sure that that resource is still there and, and still well. So uh, I think I think it's just important. We all you know, we all just ask ourselves whether you work for a, a major outdoor brand or you're, it's your first year duck hunting. Um, there's there's givers and takers. Right. And and. and give as much as you take. And there's many ways to do that, but just don't, don't be the reason duck hunting goes to hell on a handbasket. Uh, Cause every little bit does count. Every, every stupid thing that's illegal or legal that you know, isn't right, or it's going to affect waterfowl. Just pick your battles, you know, don't, don't do dumb stuff. Like I feel in Arkansas with your buddies in the bed and shooting a group of snow geese three days before season and scare every duck into the woods and make it nocturnal. Don't do that. It's not safe. It's illegal. You're an idiot. I'm not saying that, uh, people don't do it or people do do it, but you shouldn't, you know, we just, it's ethics. You just got to be an ethical hunter and, and be an outdoorsman first and, and do what's right. Don't just, don't just be thinking about the tailgate picture. You know, if whatever we can do 
to provide tailgate pictures 50 years from now, 80 years from now, 100 years from now for, for people down the road, future hunters. Let's do that. Let's focus on that. And that's the best thing we could do. Not that I'm perfect. Not that that's what I live by or do, but you just got to gotta be a, a good ethical hunter. I mean, just do the right thing. Yeah. Well, that, that's our goal here. You know, we, we want to call it like we see it. You know, if it hurts someone's feelings, I'm sorry, but call it like we see it, ask the right questions and try to make sure we leave this resource for, for generations down the road. And that's uh that's the ultimate goal of this podcast here. So, man, Brooke, I appreciate your time. Thank you for coming on today. Uh, thanks for all of our listeners for tuning in. You can find us online at the standardsportsman.com on social media at the standard sportsman or anywhere you find your podcast. Uh, once again, appreciate you coming on today. Thank you, gentlemen. I really appreciate it. Light boots. The lightest pair of knee boots you're ever going to find. Weighed in at just 13 ounces each. Putting on a pair of light boots is truly a jaw-dropping experience.